This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. What I've got in my heart is very simple, and that is God cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. Story of Balak uh, and um, uh, Balaam, and Balaam was a backslidden prophet and, and so forth, and God had to get him back on track in a very spectacular manner and speaking to him through the mouth of his donkey. But um, uh, here's what uh, Balaam, the prophet, after he got back on track, here's what Balaam, the prophet, said as he was instructed by the Lord to tell the enemy king. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Folks, I want to submit something to you just very simply for you to consider. And that is, if everybody believed that what God said was true because it's impossible for God to lie, you wouldn't have any problems here on this earth. Because you can't find one area of life that God's word doesn't cover you. You can't find one aspect of life that his promise does not apply. Well, okay, then, if God's promises cover every aspect, healing for the physical body, rest and peace for the soul, spiritual new birth, recreation of the human spirit, and so forth, that's all part of the salvation, uh, the work of salvation, literally the work of redemption that Jesus accomplished. If all these things are made available to us, then why doesn't the church have them? Everything comes down to, this verse of scripture, God is not a man that he can lie or the son of man that he may repent or should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken it and shall he not make it good? You know, there's uh, there's three different times. Uh, more times are, are listed in this because the uh, different gospel writers give us account of the same situation. But there are three specific times that Jesus said something to this effect, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never fail. One was having to do with the fulfilling of the law. The other had to do with the end times, that which was to come, yet to come. And the third had to do with when the Jews uh, accused him of operating outside the law of Moses. It was a separate incident from the first time regarding the law. And he said, heaven and earth shall not shall pass away before one jot or one tittle of the law be fulfilled. Or is not fulfilled. In other words, he's showing the assurance, the guarantee of his word. If the Holy Ghost gave us three instances, three separate accounts of Jesus saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never fail. He must have placed a high premium on the word of God. He must have placed a high premium on the words that he spoke, knowing that those were the words that God gave him. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we've got a story of the, the faith of Abraham. And oh, what a wonderful example Abraham was to us and is to us as far as his faith is concerned. But I think sometimes we um, we miss some of the, the, the truths, the real where the rubber meets the road type stuff just down where we live when we just see the account in Romans chapter 4. It gives us a great overview of Abraham's life of faith. And in that, we'll start reading verse 17. As it is written, here's what God said unto you, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. In other words, it's written in the scripture that God said to Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations. Many nations. Before him, 
whom he believed, even God. Now that's a, that, that's a real poor translation because it means Abraham was like God. In this manner, Abraham was like God, who God calleth things that be not as though they are, and he quickeneth the dead. In other words, it's saying Abraham imitated God by calling things that were not as though they were. That's what verse 17 is really trying to get across. God said, I've made you the father of many nations, and Abraham imitated him by repeating that, calling things that were not as though they were. That's what the import of verse 17 is. Verse 18, who against hope, that means Abraham didn't have any natural hope because his body was too old to have children. Who against hope believed in hope. He had to come up with some hope outside of his physical body. Well, what was that physical or what was that hope that he came up with outside of his physical body? That hope was according to that which was spoken. In other words, he based his hope on what, what God said to him rather than what he could see in his flesh. To what end? So that he might become the father of nations. In other words, he wanted a result, and in order to achieve that result, he had to base his faith on what God said, because there was no evidence in his physical body to support it. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I like the American standard on this. It says, but looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. But if he's not looking at his body, what's he looking at? He's looking at the word of God. That's how he kept from considering his body dead. He's not denying the circumstance. He's not denying the facts, but he's got something greater to look at instead of the condition of his flesh. And what that was, was the promise that God had made to him. So shall thy seed be. And being fully persuaded, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, verse 21 is really in, in my thinking, verse 21 is the key. You've got other verses, verse 20, for example, being uh, strong in faith, giving glory to God and so forth. That's great instruction of how to operate in faith. But verse 21 is really the key. Because you can operate the principles of faith all you want to, but if you're not fully persuaded that God can do what his word says he'll do, then at best you're going to spend years and years making confessions before something takes hold. And as a result, we look at these things casually. This is telling us about one event in Abraham's life when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. You know the story about how Isaac, the son of promise, was made. The promise of Isaac was made to them. But but that promise was made when he's 75 years old. So for 25 years, he has not realized that promise, and God works things out miraculously for him to have a child when he's 100 years old, way past, both him and Sarah, both way past childbearing age. He had to alter things in their body. Now, whatever the situation is in your flesh, there's nothing more necessary to be changed than what we've got an example of that God changed in them. For example, you might have a body part. You may have an internal organ that's not working anymore. Well, God changed their internal organs and made them work. So whatever your situation is, can't be more impossible than this example that we have in Abraham's life. And I think for that, it's supposed to be an encouragement to us. If God can do this, he can do whatever you need him to do for you. But the question is, how did he get to verse 21? How did Abraham get to the place where he was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform? How did he get to the place where he knew it was impossible for God to lie? That's really the question I'm asking you. That's what verse 21 means. 
Verse 21 means he was fully persuaded, absolutely convinced that it was impossible for God to lie. God said, so shall thy seed be. It's impossible for him to lie. Now, folks, if we can get there, then the sky's the limit. That's a common term that people use. Actually, it's not really accurate in this case because there is no limit. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. And that's really the key to that. To come to the place where you're fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's able also to perform. How did Abraham get there? See, this is packing. This story is packing in, in about, uh, what, four or five verses. It's packing about 25 years of life experience for Abraham to tell us what he came to. But the question is, are you going to be, get, are you going to be able to get to the place where you're fully persuaded in the time that it takes to read these four or five verses? Or is it going to take some life experience for you just like it took Abraham life experience? Well, if we can identify the experiences that he had that helped him get there, then wouldn't that be an aid for us to get to the same place? Turn back with me to Genesis. Let's start in about verse uh, or chapter, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's start in chapter 15. God first appears to Abraham in chapter 12 and says, Abraham, go where I tell you to go and I'll bless you. And I'll make you a blessing and I'll make your name great. Chapter 13 tells us that Abraham became very rich in silver and cattle and gold. Abraham's servant later told us that God's the one that made him very rich in silver and cattle and gold. That fits with the Bible. Proverbs says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. So God said, I'll bless you. If the blessing of the Lord makes you rich, Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold, then it must have been God that made him rich. See, even I can figure that out. In chapter 15, Abraham's already experienced some victories. He's come back from the, the defeating the enemy kings, the five enemy kings, with just the household servants. That's a big victory, folks. He was outnumbered greatly, but he defeated them all. Met Melchizedek on the way back. Had quite an experience. He's having supernatural experience after supernatural experience. Chapter 15. After these things, it's interesting that the Bible seems to indicate that one event is built on the other. In other words, Abraham didn't grow in faith overnight any more than you and I will grow in faith overnight. One experience, one victory led to another experience where he grew a little bit more. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing that I go childless? And this steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, I've got a hired servant, a slave in my house, somebody that I purchased. He's the only heir I've got. Shows where his heart is, doesn't it? That's part, that's one-third of the promise God first made to him in chapter 12. Follow me, and I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless, first thing he says, I'll bless you. That's the riches for himself. I'll make you a blessing. God always wants you to have enough to bless other people with. And then third, he said, I'll make your name great. Now, the name great has to do with children. And Abraham understood that. And now, some years later, after he's seen the hand of God upon his life, increasing him in a lot of different ways. Now he says, okay, that's great. Stuff Having stuff is great. But what about the child part of the promise? What will you give me? Literally, he's saying, how much money would buy 
the child that I really have a desire for. I'm glad you want to bless me with financial things, Lord. I'm glad that you're promising to increase me even more than you have already. But what about the child? That's what he's saying. And Abraham said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. In other words, he's saying, you've made good on two thirds of the promise. But what about that love of one third? You haven't given me what you promised me. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now further on it says that God brings him into another experience, a greater depth of a relationship than he had with him before. Before he just had a promise. Now God makes a covenant with him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come be a part of our family as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now let's skip over to chapter 17. Verse 1, and when Abram was 90 years old and 9, so it's been 24 years since God first appeared to Abram and given him the promises, right? It's about 10 years after um, this event in chapter 15. So Abraham is probably about 75, or uh, I'm sorry, he started off 75. He's probably about 85, 80, 85 to 88, something like that. When chapter 15 takes place. Now in chapter 17, he's 99 years old. So he's known God for 24 years, still doesn't have the child. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. He's still talking about those stars of the sky type thing. And Abraham doesn't have a child. Or at least he doesn't have uh, a child through Sarah. At this time, Ishmael has been born. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now, folks, the change in Abram and Abraham is that God took the Jehovah, the H that we know of as Jehovah in the English, or Yahweh in the Hebrew, and gave Abraham part of his name. So now Abram, whose name is now Abraham, has both a human and a God part name. And that signifies the covenant. We're one and the same, Abram. Now Abraham. And I'll make thee exceedingly fruitful, verse 6, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, 
and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Folks, the Jews are not going to live on the earth forever. He can't be just talking about physical descendants. For an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan. That's what everybody's fighting over now is all the land of Canaan. There is no seed of Ishmael at this point in time. It's still Abraham and his child, Isaac, that it belongs to. And I'll give uh, unto thee all the, unto the seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, or until the United States gets involved and takes it away from you. For an everlasting possession, I'll be their God. Don't believe all this stuff you hear on the news channels about who this land belongs to. If God's not able to give away land, who can? It was kind of his to make, you know. Okay. Um, he tells him about circumcising your house. And then verse 15, it says, And God said unto Abraham, And as for Sarah thy wife, or Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. He puts the same H in her name too. Same God consonant in her name. Because she's got a part in this too. She's not just along for the ride. It's important that she believes as well. And I will bless her and will give her a son, give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Now, the margin of my Bible has a little number seven here. And it says by the word laughed, it says or in the margin, it says or rejoiced. Well, what's Abraham doing? It would be a great sermon for us to say and Abraham after 25 years had such confidence in the word of the Lord that he just rejoiced at hearing the good news. The problem is, if you look up this word in the Hebrew, it means laughed. Translators did it right. Abraham laughs. He's saying, he looks at his body and he says, come on. I'm a hundred, almost. You're talking to me now about having children? We talked about this 25 years ago. Had a big meeting about it with that covenant thing in chapter 15 some 10 years ago, and now you're talking to me about having children? That bus is pulled out of the station. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Now let me ask you a question. At 99 years of age, Abraham does not look like we see him described in Romans chapter 4. I don't see in this him being fully persuaded that what God had promised he's able also to perform. So if you were thinking, oh my goodness, is it going to take me 25 years to get there like it took Abraham? It didn't take Abraham 25 years. It took him one. It took him one year and actually it took him less than that. I'll prove that to you in just a moment. It took him just a matter of a few months. And Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. If he's rejoicing about having Isaac, then what's he talking about Ishmael for? He's giving up and saying, no, that's physical. Having a child of my own body and Sarah's, no, Ishmael. 
Take care of him. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Now, what I, the point I'm really trying to make to you is how does he go from unbelief in verse 17 to fully persuaded in Romans 4.21? How does he get there? Because if we can figure out how he gets there, you can figure out how to get there for yourself. For me, this is one of the most important passages of Scripture in the whole Word of God. Now, if you're not interested in receiving anything from the Lord, then this may not mean anything to you, and that's okay. But for me, I want everything Jesus paid for. People talk about when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God things. Listen, I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and not having Jesus say, why didn't you take advantage of what I did? I'm trying to make sure that he's not asking me a bunch of stuff when I get there. And God said, how does Abraham get from unbelief to, to fully persuaded? Notice what God does. God simply repeats the promise. He said, God, uh, and God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. The word indeed just means truly. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard him. Or heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him for him a great nation. That's the Arab nations of the world, folks. God said, I'll bless him for your sake because I've heard you. But, verse 21, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. How does Abraham go from unbelief at age 99, to fully persuaded at age 100. How does that happen? Well, notice what God does. God repeats the promise, but now he gives him a new vision. He's talked to him about having children. He's talked to him about stars in the sky and sand on the seashore being like his children and all this kind of stuff. He said that several different times, but for the first time ever, God gives him a vision of a son named Isaac. So what's God done? He's changed his name. And he's planted a new vision in him. Now it's not just make your name great. Now it's not just seed as the stars of the sky and sand of the seashore. That's easy. That looks like a big crowd. Okay, now he's made it personal. And he said, this time next year with Sarah, you're going to have a son named Isaac. How does Abraham not start seeing a baby named Isaac from that point forward? Chapter 18, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre and sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Talks to him about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, different things like that uh, in the chapter. But uh, verse 9 is where I want you to see. And they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, this has got to be Jesus. This has got to be the Lord as one of these three guys, two angels and Jesus showing up at Abraham's house. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. Do you know what that means? The time of life has to do with God restarting her um, reproductive organs. I don't know how long they've been inoperable, but returning unto her according to the time of life means I will start things in her body again. I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, 
her reproductive organs have stopped. She's gone through menopause and so forth. That's going to change. The promise she just got from the Lord is that's going to change. And so Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? In other words, now I'm going to have a child? Now, what does that tell you? That says to me that Abraham hadn't talked to Isaac or talked to Sarah a lot about having Isaac. It's been a vision that he's carried from the Lord, but she's got to get the vision too. Because this is not a matter of her saying, you know, well, Abraham told me about that, but that can't be real, can it? I mean, I could understand that reaction. But it's like she's coming out of the blue saying, wait a minute, now I'm going to have a child? I remember Abraham telling me this when we were 75. And he's mentioned some things along the way, but now, when I'm 90? So there's not a lot of faith being exercised here either, is there? Yet Sarah makes it into the Hebrews chapter 11 hall of fame of faith, heroes. So something changed in her too. Well, okay, what changed with her? Then Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore or why did Sarah laugh? saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, the Lord knows that Sarah's listening. So when he says this to Abraham, he might as well be talking to her, because he knows she's hearing this. Now, with Abraham, he changed him from his place of unbelief by repeating the promise and giving him a vision, a different vision than he's ever had before. With Sarah, he does something entirely different. He challenges her on God's ability. On his ability. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, that's a real question we ought to ask ourselves. That's a real question. When you start believing God for something, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whatever it is, when you start believing God for something, that's, that ought to be a question you ask yourself. Is God big enough to do this? Because the devil's going to challenge you on that somewhere along the way. So if you get that out of the way up front, that gives him one less thing to hang his hat on. Gives the devil one less opportunity area to attack you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we can casually say, oh, no, all things are possible with God. But the question is really, as far as you're concerned, real life, real belief, is anything too hard for God? Is your situation too hard for the Lord? Well, maybe you're facing something that's impossible. Yeah. And? Is that too hard for him? So you start thinking like that and you start thinking about how big God is. You have to. God created this place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made it from nothing. So we know he's that big. Is that big enough for me and my situation? Do you see the point I'm trying to make? Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away, but that his words would never fail. The reason that we as Christians should accept the word of God as the foundation for our lives is because God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God said it himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. 
join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.